fills up our plates. Papa's saying grace. Louisiana living sweet as sugar. Welcome to the Story Table, brought to you by Providence Church in Lake Providence, Louisiana, where they want you to know that you are loved. Sierra Story, Chapter 15 Luke and Lolly stood in the doorway of their parents' bedroom, watching Elaine pack Sierra's suitcase. How long do you think they'll be gone? Lolly asked her grandmother. The twins ventured closer to the bed. Well, sweetie, that all depends on what this neurosurgeon has to say. If he doesn't recommend surgery, I would expect them back in a week or so. In time for Christmas, Luke said, that'd be great. Yeah, but I wouldn't get my hopes up too high. Dr. Wyland seems to think this doctor might operate. If so, I'm not sure how long your mom and granddad will be there. Elaine stopped packing long enough to hug her grandchildren. But don't you worry, she said. I plan to make the holidays as special for you two as I can. Luke and Lolly exchanged skeptical glances. They weren't sure about their grandmother's holiday plans. She had already mentioned wanting all of them to make cookies and trim the tree together. They figured she still thought of them as five or six years old. I can't believe Daddy's not going with her, Lolly muttered. Neither can I, Luke added. And I'm tired of not knowing what's happening with them. Someone should tell us what's going on. We're not little kids. Elaine looked at her grandchildren. She knew they thought of themselves as all grown up. But right now, the pain on their sad young faces made her want to take them in her lap and rock them. Listen, she said, addressing them both. Your parents have hit a little snag, but they'll come through it. A little snag? Lolly's voice was bitter. That's putting it mildly, don't you think? She was fed up with her grandmother's cheery spin on her parents' problems, especially when it was obvious they were breaking up. She didn't need anyone to spell things out for her. It was just as obvious the missing Mr. Carpenter had started all this. She flounced out of the room. Luke shrugged, smiling weakly at his grandmother before following his sister down the stairs. You didn't have to take it out on her, Luke said. She hasn't done anything. Lolly swung the refrigerator door shut and popped the top of a cold soft drink. And I don't need you telling me what to do, she snapped back. You're clueless anyway. Luke glared at his sister. I was just trying to see if she'd fill us in on where things stand between Mom and Dad. Clueless, huh? I know more than you think. The dubious look on Lolly's face made Luke determined to wipe it off. The back door slammed as he raised his voice at his sister. It was that reporter, he yelled. How's that for clueless? Seconds later, Sonny walked into the kitchen to find the twins faced off like gunslingers. What's going on? Nothing, they answered in unison. Yeah, Sonny said, it looks like nothing. He took a deep breath and set his cap on the bar, rubbing his tired eyes with both hands. He decided to pretend he hadn't heard them talking about Charles Carpenter. And that was the last thing he wanted to discuss with them. I'm going to Colorado, Sonny announced, taking both of them by surprise. He watched their reactions closely. I'm not exactly going with them, with Jim and your mama, he clarified. But I'm going. Lolly crossed the kitchen quickly to hug her dad. Thanks, Daddy. Mama will be so happy, she said. She's been asking for you constantly. 
Sonny hesitated, knowing they wouldn't understand. He wished things were different. I don't want your mama to know, he said. His expression pleaded with them to understand. I'm not ready for that. I just want to be there in case. Their dad's voice faded away for a moment, and then he squared his shoulders and continued. I've already called Ruth. I asked to stay in the bunkhouse with the hands. Lolly pulled away from her dad slightly. Luke looked like he was about to explode. That's great, Dad, he said. That's just great. Luke looked at his sister. Are you ready? Sure, Lolly said flatly. Luke avoided his father's eyes as he reached past him, picking up the keys to the jeep. We're going to the hospital to tell Mama goodbye. It's beautiful, Jim said from the back seat. I wish I were good with words, Sierra. I can't even begin describing this to you. That's okay, Sierra said with forced contentment. Everything around her seemed so bright it almost hurt. Even though her eyes had shown little improvement over the past couple of days, at least her persistent headache had waned somewhat. She tried to cling to that as a good sign. It must be snowing, she offered. Ruth slowed down to steer the new utility vehicle over a rough spot in the rural road. You bet, she said, patting Sierra's hand, and the weatherman doesn't expect it to let up any time soon. Ruth glanced in her rearview mirror, watching the white ranch truck behind her slow as Rodney maneuvered the deep ruts. She could make out Sonny in the passenger seat. If this isn't a mess, Ruth wondered privately. She pictured Sierra, Jim, and Sonny, all three of them on the same plane, with Sonny several rows behind the other two, like a clumsy spy movie. How did these kids get to this point, she asked herself. Ruth thought back to her conversation with Sonny. He hadn't offered much information, and she had not pried, agreeing to his request to stay in the bunkhouse, as well as his request for secrecy. Of course, she could have got Elaine on the phone and got the whole spill, but she figured Sonny or Sierra would tell her what they wanted her to know when they wanted her to know it. Well, Sierra, Jim, we're here, Ruth announced as the ranch came into view. Jim gasped involuntarily. It looked like a postcard. Smoke curled from the top of the main house and the bunkhouse several yards to its right. Horses grazed behind wood fencing that followed the curve of the yard, disappearing behind the house and reappearing on the other side where it marched off toward the mountains. Ruth could see Marvin sitting on the front porch with one of the men. He had been as excited as a little boy at Christmas this morning. Marvin wasn't particular. He just loved company. She must have told him who was coming a dozen times, bless his heart, and he still couldn't remember. Not long ago, he would have planned a big barbecue and invited all the neighbors to meet his guest. Ruth's heart ached as she realized how low he had gotten in the past couple of months. Ruth pulled up to the main house. Behind her, Rodney veered off to the bunkhouse. Marvin got up and walked to the edge of the porch, a big smile on his face as the occupants unloaded. A couple of men in jeans and cowboy hats unloaded their suitcases and took them into the side door. Marvin, Ruth said loudly as Jim and Sierra made their way to the front steps. Sierra's here, and Jim, you remember them, Elaine's daughter and her husband. Elaine, Elaine. Marvin turned the name over several times, trying to make a connection. Yeah, indeed, yes, indeed, he said, and Ruth knew he'd drawn a blank. Take me to him, Sierra whispered to her dad. 
Jim led Sierra toward the shadowy figure of her uncle, and she wrapped her arms around his neck. Uncle Marvin, she said, and for the first time in a long while she didn't have to try to sound happy. It's so good to be here. I've missed you. A strong combined scent of horses, hay, and smoke tickled Sierra's nose. He smelled just like she remembered. She could have lain her head on his shoulder for a long time. I've missed you too, Uncle Marvin said. He looked at Ruth, bewildered. Let's go inside, Ruth said, steering the group towards the front door. I've got a big pot of homemade soup on the stove, and it looks like Marvin had the men build us a big fire. A fire, Marvin repeated. That's right. The men build a fire. Ruth held the screen door open, and Marvin shuffled inside. Sarah was next, holding on to her daddy's hand. Ruth looked towards the bunkhouse. Sonny was standing at the door watching their little reunion. He waved at Ruth. She waved back before following the others indoors. Why don't you all just sit by the fire and try to get warm, Ruth said as everyone began to peel out of their jackets. She motioned to the roaring fire at the end of the large den before hurrying off to the kitchen. Jim led Sierra to an overstuffed leather recliner. Do you want an afghan, he asked. No, Sierra said curtly. She immediately felt guilty for snapping at her dad. Sorry, she apologized. I just feel so useless. Jim patted her back. It's all right, honey. I'm sorry, too. I'll try to lay off a little. But your mama, she made me swear to watch you every minute. Why don't you just not and say you did, Sierra asked. I'd better start getting used to doing a few things on my own, don't you think? Jim didn't know how to answer that. He patted her shoulder again and sat down on the couch. The room fell silent. Marvin took his favorite chair by the fire, trying to remember who his guests were. He felt sorry for the young woman. She didn't seem to be able to see that well. Jim looked around the big paneled room. There was plenty of seating gathered around the fireplace wall, as well as little groups of two or three chairs placed strategically at the open windows. The scene beyond the glass looked like an artist's rendering of the perfect winter wonderland. A large, colorful rug anchored the main seating group, while several smaller versions served as runners leading toward the bedroom wing and the kitchen. Everywhere he looked, the blessing of nature had been brought indoors, from the simple pine cones piled high in a wooden bowl on the heavy coffee table, to the graceful sprays of dried foliage dripping with berries that nestled among the family photos scattered around the room. Above the fireplace, a single branch of wood rested on the massive oak mantel, its bare beauty curving in a pleasing line to rival the talent of the finest sculpture. Boy, C.C., Jim exclaimed at last, this place is beautiful. Sarah smiled blankly, and Jim chastised himself again. That's good, Jim. Maybe you can have her crying if you keep on. I can't believe it's been so long since we've been here. Jim turned to Marvin, trying desperately to make small talk. Last time we were here, why, this was still just a little cabin, and y'all were dreaming about adding on. Seems like you had the kitchen and a couple of bedrooms, maybe. And the whole house was smaller than this one room. Ruth gave a hearty laugh as she entered the room carrying a tray of steaming bowls. I'm still not sure we needed all this. She set the tray down on the coffee table and gestured toward the windows. 
Now, those fancy picture windows, I'd have to say we're pretty attached to them. Ain't that right, Marvin? She leaned down and gave him a quick kiss on the cheek. There isn't a day that goes by that the good Lord doesn't paint us a picture like the one you see right now. Marvin smiled at Ruth gratefully. He couldn't always remember who she was, but he always felt better when she was around. Sonny was waiting on the porch of the bunkhouse the next morning when Jim, Sierra, and Ruth came out to head into the city for Sierra's appointment. Why don't you crank the Yukon and get Sierra settled, Ruth asked Jim. I need to check on something with one of the men before we leave. She looked toward Sonny. Jim followed her gaze and nodded. Sonny met Ruth halfway between the houses. He hugged her awkwardly. I guess you got settled in, Ruth said, trying to put Sonny at ease. I'm sorry I wasn't able to come down last night. I didn't expect you to, Ruth. Sonny looked past her nervously, watching Jim help Sierra into the vehicle. Ruth watched his face closely. We'll let you know what the doctor says as soon as we can, she said reassuringly. You got my cell phone number? Yes, Ruth said laughing. You've given it to me five times. She looked at Sonny seriously. Are you sure you don't want to come with us? No. Sonny felt uncomfortable, convinced that Ruth must think the worst of him. I can't explain, Ruth. Not right now. I know you must think I'm a jerk. I think no such thing, Sonny Gray. Ruth gave him another quick hug. I gotta go now. Looks like they're ready. Why don't you go up to the main house for the day? Sonny shook his head. No, thanks. I appreciate it, but I need to stay busy. Rodney says I can help him today. That is, if you don't mind. Now, why would I mind? Ruth asked, smiling. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, and that's what I've always said. You jump in and help out wherever you want to. There's always plenty of work around here. Ruth looked directly into Sonny's eyes. Sonny? Yes. Do you still love her? Sonny looked off for a long moment before meeting Ruth's piercing blue eyes. Yes, he whispered, but I don't know if that's enough. Ruth's voice was soft. Sonny, love is always enough. Rodney honored Ruth's request to keep Sonny busy. The two men spent the morning repairing fences on the northern boundary line. They liked each other instinctively. Sonny approved of Rodney's work ethic. It was obvious this guy didn't loaf on his boss's dollar. Rodney liked it that Sonny didn't feel compelled to make small talk. Throughout the morning, they worked side by side, saying just what needed to be said and nothing more. Sonny enjoyed the physical labor, as well as the scenery. Occasionally, a few of the tamer horses wandered close to where they were working, investigating the men's activities. Several times Rodney stopped and pointed out one horse or another, commenting on their particular personalities. The beauty of the landscape struck Sonny at every turn. He was reminded of how Sierra had loved Colorado, how desperately she had pleaded with him to sell the farm after the twins graduated and move here. Was it really possible she'd never see a scene like this again? By the time the men stopped for lunch, they'd both broken a sweat and peeled off their jackets. Much of the tension of the past few weeks had begun to ease out of Sonny's body. Diet or regular? Rodney opened the cooler in the back of the pickup. I'd rather have water if you've got any left, Sonny answered. Rodney pulled a bottled water from the icy cooler, throwing it to Sonny's waiting hand. 
Thanks, Sonny said. Rodney lowered the tailgate of his truck and sat down, motioning to Sonny to join him. They unpacked their sack lunches together. Sonny was opening his mouth, preparing to sink into the fresh bread when he noticed Rodney watching him. Sonny raised his eyebrows questioningly. You pray? Oh, sure, Sonny said hastily, putting his sandwich down and bowing his head. Rodney cleared his throat and looked to the heavens. Thank you, he said. He promptly tore the paper off his sandwich and bit down. Sonny joined him, his eyes crinkling in amusement. Halfway through lunch, Sonny took his cell phone out of his pocket, checking the service light to see if it was working. You expecting a call, Rodney said quietly. You've been looking at that thing all morning. The way he said it didn't strike Sonny as nosy, just curious. Yeah, Sonny said, my wife's having some tests run this morning. Ruth's supposed to call. Rodney just nodded. Sonny knew it must seem strange for him to be out here working on fences instead of being at the hospital. I'd be with her, but, well, we're having a few problems. Rodney nodded again, his soft brown eyes searching the other man's face. It's not that I'm not worried. I am, but, but she has her dad with her and Ruth. Sonny's voice trailed off, wondering why he was explaining himself to someone he'd only met yesterday. Rodney's mind went back to his own wife, Annie. He blinked furiously, trying to dam up the flow of tears that usually came with her memory. He didn't have to worry. Sonny was a million miles away. The men ate in silence, lost in their own memories. Ever been married? Sonny asked after a long while. He finished the slice of pound cake the cook had included and crumpled up the foil, stuffing it back in the paper bag. He didn't know why he was asking, and he only half expected Rodney to answer. Once. Sonny waited. What happened? He asked a few minutes later, surprised at himself for being so nosy. Rodney stood up and brushed his hands off of his jeans, signaling the end of the lunch hour and the conversation. Sonny followed his cue, tossing his empty sack into the front seat and following the other man back to the fence. Sonny held a new post in place while Rodney shoveled dirt around its base. Once it was secured, they moved down the fence, checking for more broken poles. They were cutting the wire away from a damaged post several yards down when Rodney finally answered Sonny's question. Car wreck, Rodney said, as if Sonny had just finished asking. She died on her seventh anniversary. I'm sorry. Sonny avoided Rodney's eyes. Me too. Rodney's voice was shaky. He cleared his throat. We've been fighting, he offered matter-of-factly. He could see the question in Sonny's eyes. Oh, I don't remember. Something stupid. Some stupid something. It seemed real big at the time. Rodney took a step back and scanned down the fence line for damage, but Sonny could tell he wasn't seeing the barbed wire or the post. You know, Rodney said, almost as if he was talking to himself. I can't remember the last thing I said to Annie, but I know it was ugly. I can still see her face when she drove off. She was crying. I've always thought, maybe, if she hadn't been so upset... Sonny laid a hand on his new friend's shoulder, not knowing what to say. You better check that phone, Rodney said. Sonny smiled. Right, he agreed, reaching in his back jeans pocket for the little black phone. It was strange. 
He felt closer to Rodney than he did to a lot of people he had known for years. Ruth had a hard time deciding whom to call first. She dialed Sonny's cell phone, no answer. Oh, well, she thought he'll have to wait. She called her sister next. Elaine answered in the middle of the second ring. Lane, Ruth asked. Yes, Ruth. Elaine's voice was breathless. I didn't think you'd ever call. What'd he say? Will she have to have surgery? What'd he say about her eyes? Ruth interrupted the barrage of questions. Breathe, Elaine, she said gently. It's good. Elaine exhaled deeply. Oh, my God, I was so nervous. I'm sure, Ruth said. She had a mental picture of Sierra's house. It was probably scrubbed cleaner than a hospital ward, decorated to the hilt with red and green and smelling like one big cookie factory. Well, tell me, Elaine urged her sister. Dr. Zeger, that's the specialist. He doesn't recommend surgery. Thank God, Elaine said. I have, Ruth said sincerely. He studied the CT scan and the MRI from Dr. Weiland, and combined with his physical examination of Sierra, he agrees with the doctors back home. He wants her to continue the Decatron. Is that right? Whatever it's called, Ruth said, trying to keep things straight. The steroid she's been on to reduce the swelling on her brain. She's to continue that, and of course, complete bed rest. But her eyes, what do he say about her eyes? That's good, too. His eye exam showed improvement over Dr. Wyland's from the first of the week. Not a whole lot, but enough for him to believe there isn't any permanent damage. He expects it to keep improving. He did say he wanted her to stay in Colorado for at least a week as a precaution. A precaution against what? Elaine asked nervously. Well, Ruth hesitated, not wanting to give Elaine anything to fret over. If the headaches do return or the changes in her vision start to revert, he would want to do another CT scan, an MRI, or something called a cerebral angiogram to check for rebleeding. Oh, no, Elaine whispered. That doesn't sound good. Now, Elaine, he doesn't look for that to happen. What we need to do is stay positive and keep praying. He's content to wait and see. That should give us a lot of comfort. He must not think her condition is threatening. I hear you, Elaine said to her sister. I do, but I can't help worrying. What about Sonny? Are they talking yet? Does she even know he's there? Ruth didn't want to get into Sonny and Sarah's relationship with Elaine. Listen, Lane, she said, changing subjects abruptly. Someone needs to use this phone, and Sarah and Jim are waiting on me. I know the kids are anxious, too. I'm sure they're waiting for you to call them at school. Tell them we love them. But wait a minute, Elaine called. They haven't told you anything? Look, I've got to let this lady use the phone. We'll talk to y'all tonight. Bye now. Elaine was still talking when Ruth hung up. She looked around at the empty room and up towards the ceiling. I know, she said under her breath. I'm sorry. Gross, Jan said, taking her fork and stabbing at the piece of meat on her lunch tray. Mystery meat again. Come on now, it's not so bad if you don't look at it, Luke joked. Lolly and Jeff set their trays down beside Jan and Luke. Yeah, try it, Jan, Jeff said, grinning at Luke. Jan looked at the boys in disgust. Never, she snapped. Call me picky, but I have a policy against eating anything I can't identify. Luke smiled at Jan affectionately. She was normally easygoing. They'd grown pretty close over the past month or so. But Jan didn't pretend about her groceries. She liked lunch and she didn't care who knew it. She was refreshing compared to the other bony girls complaining about their weight and always counting fat grams. 
I'll tell you who has it good, Lolly announced, the kids that go to those big high schools. I know for a fact a lot of them have three or four fast food restaurants right there in their cafeteria. Can you imagine choosing between Chick-fil-A and McDonald's instead of mystery meat and liver? It must be nice. Jan nodded fiercely, her mouth full of fruit. That and the corn, maybe, was the only thing that looked edible off the entire lunch line. She had learned that if you swallowed it down with a carton of milk, it was possible to stave off your hunger until after school. Then it was burger barn or bust. Yeah, Luke said, that'd be great. Plus, you get to walk through metal detectors at every door and wear name badges around your neck so your teachers know who you are. Jeff laughed and joined in with his buddy. And I hear it's a good idea to wait until you get home to go to the bathroom, unless you like to get mugged. And if you're extremely gifted and really lucky, you might, and I mean might, make the football or basketball team. Lolly and Jan rolled their eyes at each other. Lolly would have continued the conversation, but Jan headed her off. Have y'all heard from your mom? We talked to her when they got there, Lolly responded, but we hadn't heard about her appointment. It was this morning. I asked Grandma to call us here at school, but she probably won't, Luke cut in. She wouldn't want to interrupt our schooling. That's how she talks, schooling. She's driving me crazy. Luke's voice trailed off. He and Lolly looked down at their plates miserably. It was hard to believe today was the last school day before Christmas break. It didn't feel right. But then what did these days? To make matters worse, they felt guilty talking about their grandmother, knowing she was doing her best to make the holidays nice for them. Their house looked like the North Pole, and she'd been baking for days. Besides cleaning and cooking like a mad woman, she was piling presents sky high under the freshly cut Christmas tree. Still, she couldn't give them the only thing either of them wanted, their family back, for their mom to recover and she and their dad to be home for Christmas together. Jan and Jeff watched their friends' miserable faces helplessly. Come on, guys, Jan said, trying to cheer them up. I bet you she gets a great report and they're both home in time for Christmas. Yeah, Luke said, and everyone lives happily ever after. Thanks, but this isn't a fairy tale, Jan, or a Disney movie. I don't think it's going to work like that. The teenagers cleared their table in silence, moving to the benches outside to wait for the bell to ring and whatever was coming next.